0: As I think about the Gospel of Mark, it's a very short book. Compared to John and Luke and Matthew, it's the shortest of the four Gospels and also the first. It's only 16 chapters long, but Mark knew his purpose. It was all about Jesus. It was all about the good news of Jesus. It wasn't the Gospel according to Mark. It was the Gospel of Jesus. In fact, Mark starts his Gospel this way. He says, it's the beginning of the good news of of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In other words, it's the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is focused on Jesus, and we too focus on Jesus as we start our Lenten journey. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, for you are truly our rock and our redeemer, In the name of Christ, amen. Now, this is the first Sunday in Lent. We officially started Lent on Wednesday with the ashes, but today is the first Sunday in Lent. And with Lent, it's a 40-day journey. And when we go on a journey, we don't go alone. We go with others. And so we're here with our brothers and our sisters in the faith. But more importantly, we go on our Lenten journey with Jesus the author of our salvation, he's the one. Now, when we go on any sort of journey, um, we want to get ready for that journey. And whether we uh, take a hike or ride our bike, we got to get prepared for the journey. Or whether we take a plane, a train, or an automobile, we got to get ready for the journey. What do I mean by getting ready? I mean taking all the necessary preparations. For example, with a car. Americans love their cars, don't they? You know, we just love our cars, our trucks, our Jeeps, our SUVs. Whatever goes on four wheels and is powered either by gas or electric. We love to go because it gives us our independence. We have some semblance of control and we can just go wherever we want, do whatever we want to do, and just uh, the sky's the limit when it comes to our cars, isn't it? But when we go on a journey of a significant length, We gotta remember to get fueled up for the journey. We gotta remember to get energized. Maybe the night before, you go down to the gas station and fill the tank. You know, you move that needle from E of empty to F for full. You gotta fuel up your car. Or if you got an electric car, make sure to put it on the charger. Or before you know it, you're gonna be driving along and you won't even leave Monroe County before you gotta hit a charging station. And there you're wasting time at either the charging station or the gas station. You're not getting anywhere fast. So in other words, we gotta get energized for our journey. And the same thing is true with our journey with God. When Jesus took a journey with God, Jesus journeyed and the first stop in Jesus' ministry was scene one, Jesus' baptism. Jesus is no foreigner to journeys. But he didn't have a car, did he? He didn't have a bike either. Bikes weren't invented back then. So he walked, and I don't know if you know it, in the Bible, It doesn't give kilometers or miles or any distances really but he walked hundreds of miles he went from place to place even in the seven verses that Fay read to us there are four places that are mentioned jesus started up in nazareth of galilee where he grew up that was his hometown and he went all the way down to the jordan river to get baptized by john then he went over to the judean wilderness and then he went back up to galilee but this time to the fishing villages like Capernaum. That's where he started his ministry up in Galilee. And you would think with all these miles, it would kind of wear out a pair of sandals or two, wouldn't it? Because Jesus walked many miles. He walked many miles. And the first stop, like I said, is scene one, the Jordan River and Jesus' baptism. And Mark invites us to the banks of the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized by his cousin John. And many people scratch their head at this, and they think, "Why did Jesus need to get baptized anyway?" Because baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus didn't have any sins. He was perfect. He was righteous. But yet, that was the will of the Father. And Mark doesn't really bother to explain it. Luke and Matthew they go into more detail, but um, Mark doesn't go into much detail. He just mentions it very matter of fact. That's the way Mark's gospel is. It's action oriented. He doesn't mince a lot of words, he just goes from place to place and from event to event. Like I said, seven verses and four stops. So here he is and he describes the scene. Jesus is being commissioned. It's almost like an anointing of a king. And so when he goes to this first stop at the baptism uh, by the Jordan River, um, Jesus goes down into the water and as he's rising up out of the water, All of a sudden, he looks up, and the skies rip open. It's as if they were torn in two like a cloth. They were torn apart. And so the skies opened up, and before you know it, the dove started coming down immediately. A dove came down, 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 and landed on Jesus. It was the gift of the Holy Spirit, empowering Jesus, energizing Jesus for the journey that was ahead of him. And then it doesn't stop there. Not only the Holy Spirit... But the voice came from above, the voice of the Father. And from that same opening in which the dove came down, came the voice of the Father. Me. I can get my mic. Can I just use this mic right here? Is that okay if I use this? All right, good. So, anyway, the voice of the Father comes from above. And the voice of the Father says, I love you. You are my son. With you, I am well pleased. It was a beautiful voice. It was an affirming voice. It was a voice of father to son, telling Jesus that he was loved and empowered and energized for the journey ahead of him. And that's true for us, too. We are reminded of not only who we are, but whose we are. And up front, I've put two reminders of our identity. I've put the ashes of Ash Wednesday, and I've put the waters of baptism. Now on Wednesday, we were reminded that we are human, we are mortals, and we all have to face at one time or another, our mortality. And when people came forward to receive the ashes, I said to them, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And I marked a cross with those ashes on their forehead. This was a symbol that our days on Earth are limited, but that we must rely on Jesus and the cross. But there's another reminder of our identity over there, and it's the waters of baptism. And the waters of baptism are there to to show what is often called our baptismal identity. Now, i got to give credit where credit is due, but when we used to live in Michigan, we had a pastor there by the name of Pastor Mark. And Pastor Mark is the one that baptized my daughter, Annalise, when she was a baby back in 2001. But I remember Mark always talking about our baptismal identity. And so for some of us, what we need to do is remember our baptism because I was baptized as a baby and I don't actually remember my baptism. So I need to be reminded that I've been marked by God, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, baptized in God's love, baptized in Jesus' blood, baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. You have this baptismal identity that reminds you not only of who you are, but whose you are. You are a child of God, beloved, as Jesus was beloved of God, and you are marked by him to let you know that you belong to God as a son or daughter belongs to their father. It's amazing. It's quite something to know that you're loved by God, that you have this baptismal identity. Now, Jesus leads the way in baptism. He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Like Jesus, we too are baptized, receiving the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is our power source, just like gas powers a combustible engine, or just as electricity powers up an electric car, so the Holy Spirit powers you up and energizes you for the journey ahead. The journey of Jesus continues as we go to scene two. Scene two is the wilderness. Jesus makes his way to the wilderness, most likely the Judean desert by the Dead Sea. The baptism was barely completed when this happened. Now, one thing to notice is that in this passage of Scripture, the word immediately is used by Mark. And Mark loved the Greek word for immediately, or at once, because his Jesus was constantly on the move. Immediately he went there. Immediately he went there. Immediately he went from place to place. It was all done quickly and action-oriented. There wasn't a lot of time for extended Speeches like you see in the Gospel of John. Nevertheless, the Spirit immediately drove him out to the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days. Sound familiar? Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, and they were tested constantly by God, but over and over again they failed the test. They got an F on their report card because they were constantly disobeying the commandments and worshiping idols instead of worshiping Holy God. But Jesus, Jesus didn't fail the test, Jesus passed the test with flying colors. He defeated Satan, he defeated the wild beasts, and the wild beasts here represent the um, evil forces, the demonic forces that oppose God. So Jesus came out from the desert victorious over Satan and victorious over everything that would distract him from his journey. At first it might seem like Jesus was all alone in the wilderness, like some lone ranger. But if we read this text carefully, it says that the angels waited on him. The angels were sent by God to attend to Jesus' physical and spiritual needs. The angels pointed Jesus to God's divine providence and power. The angels were there each step of the way, watching over Jesus in the desert. They provided divine protection. They provided God's providence, and God in that way, by using the angels for his purposes, provided for his son, Jesus. God provides for us too as we march forward on our journey. As John spent 40 days excuse me, as Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, we too spend 40 days on our journey of Lent. And there's 40 days, not counting the Sunday, from Ash Wednesday to Easter. And that 40 days is a time of sacrifice in which we give up those things which distract us from God. But it's also a time in which we can add spiritual practices, in which we can do things that are positive to promote our relationship with God and with others. It's a journey that we don't make alone. We make it with Jesus. In fact, Jesus promises to you and to me that I will never leave you or forsake you. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus says to you and to me. And God provides resources for our journey. In the narthex, there's that purple table and there are resources for your spiritual journey. And the worship committee has provided not one, but two devotional books that you can read. Help yourself, those are free. And Rose has suggested a prayer resource uh, that, that is there free as well, and it's something that you can do. The first prayer practice that is suggested there is called Examine, where you examine your life and you reflect on your day, and you give your day to the Lord, both good and bad. These are devotional resources for you and for me. But be warned, the wilderness journey is full of temptation. The desert journey of Lent is full of testing. And the devil doesn't want you to be transformed. The devil doesn't want you to change. He would rather that you remain the same. The spirit calls you to be transformed according to God's will, but the devil would rather that you stubbornly resist prayer. I don't want to examine myself. The devil would rather that you resist the devotionals. I just don't have time to read it. I'm far too busy. There's every excuse in the book, isn't there? And the devil would rather sideswipe you and sidetrack you and prevent you from making progress on your spiritual journey. When God says spiritual transformation, when God says personal change, the devil says you're fine just the way you are. You don't need to change. But God provides for you. God empowers you by his love to lead a life of self-discipline and self-control. Even more, he energizes you by his Holy Spirit to open up your hearts to spiritual formation. There's no doubt that we will be tested on our spiritual journey. But God, God provides his help so that we can become overcomers in Jesus' name. He motivates us to join Jesus. And even as Jesus was victorious on his spiritual journey through the wilderness, so we too, with God's help, can be victorious joining Jesus on our journey. Now the journey continues on scene 3, where Jesus proclaims the gospel, inviting others on the journey. And as Jesus left the wilderness, which was close to the Dead Sea, if any of you have ever been to Israel, the Dead Sea is kind of on the south, and where Jesus ministered in Galilee, it was more towards the north in Israel, by the Sea of Galilee. And I looked it up on a map, and it's approximately 100 miles. That's a long way to walk, isn't it? with just a pair of sandals. But Jesus did it. He did it for you and for me because he knew that his ministry needed to, be, to begin, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news to those that didn't know it. So Jesus went there to preach and teach the people. He began his ministry. Verse 14 reveals that he came to Galilee to proclaim the good news of God Now, we don't often pay attention to little words like of because they seem, I don't know, two letters. It's of little significance, a little preposition, I think, if my English is correct. I was more of a math guy. Nevertheless, the theologians dive into this kind of thing, and they say, what does that little word of mean? The gospel of God. And they've concluded that it means two things at once. The gospel from God, meaning that God is the source of the gospel, and the gospel about God. In other words, the content of the good news is God Himself and His salvation. So God is both the source and the content of the good news and the gospel. Nevertheless, Lamar Williamson comments on Jesus' preaching. Lamar describes Jesus' preaching in two parts, and he says, there's two parts to Jesus' preaching. There's the announcement, and then there's the appeal. The announcement has two parts. The first part is, the time is fulfilled. The second part is, the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus says, I'm going to announce two things. Number one, the time is fulfilled. Number two, the kingdom of God has come near. Therefore, I make to you this appeal. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's what he says to all lost sinners. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent in the sense that we need to turn away from our old way of life and turn to a new way of life. Turn away from the darkness and turn to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. There's a new day dawning in Galilee. There's a new day dawning in our hearts. And we need to turn away from the darkness and face the living light from God. His preaching demands a response. There's an appeal here. You either accept or reject, but don't waffle and waver in the middle. The time is short, so don't delay. And by expressing the need for repentance, he's calling them to turn, to make a change, to allow the spirit to personally transform them and reform them, in the shape that God desires. He's inviting them to a new way of life, a way of faith, a way of belief, a way of trust in the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is on this remarkable journey to Jerusalem and the cross, but generously he invites others to join him in this journey. And generously, we too invite others to join us on this journey. You know, sometimes we, we take a trip or something. It's so much better when you go with somebody else than when you go by yourself, isn't it? Like if you travel to Boston and you invite a friend with you to Boston, the time just goes by like that. If you got a friend along, you can talk the whole way or enjoy music on the radio. It's a lot more fun with a friend, isn't it? Or if you're going... Um, Camping, it's so much more fun in the summer in New York to go to the state park with a group of friends than go all by yourself. Likewise, you invite others to come along with you on your Lenten journey. If, if you benefited from a prayer resource, you want to tell others about it and say, maybe this could benefit you too. Or if you benefited from one of the devotionals, perhaps you want to tell a family member or friend about it. If you're a faith-filled follower of Jesus Christ, you want to tell others all about him too. Your heartfelt journey with Jesus is meant to be shared. It's like a cup that overflows to family, friends, and neighbors. In conclusion, we're starting a Lenten journey with Jesus, and we've been fueled up, empowered for the journey by the God who loves us. Like Jesus, we will face testing on our journey in the wilderness, But with God's help, we will share in the victory of Jesus. And in the Spirit's power, we'll be ready to invite other people to join our journey. It's a journey with Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are on a journey. Inward.